I feel really good about everything that we've done and where we are now. And um, I feel confident that the Community Broadband Initiative is going to be great without me. And um, I just, you know, I feel really good about the future. Welcome to episode 401 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This is Jess Delfiaco, the Communications Manager. If you're a regular listener, you may already be missing a familiar voice on our podcast. Lisa Gonzalez recently left her position as senior researcher at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance to become an analyst for the Minnesota Department of Commerce. We couldn't let her leave without one final conversation on the show. In this interview, you'll hear Lisa and Christopher talk about her role at ILSR, how her work changed over the last eight years, and how more communities than ever are turning to us for resources and advice. They reminisce a little about her early days on the job and why she felt so at home at ILSR. Lisa also talks about what she'll be doing in her new position with the Department of Commerce. We'll certainly miss having her as part of our team, but we know she'll do great things there. Here's Christopher talking with Lisa Gonzalez. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. Super sad edition. Lisa has uh, been with us, uh, introduced more than 400 podcasts, and uh, this will be her final episode that she's appearing on, at least for a while, maybe. (laughs) Who knows? Maybe we'll get you back um, in a different capacity. Um, Lisa Gonzalez is a senior researcher who's been working on my team for eight years here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. You've been uh, just a a big part of the success that we've had. Um, You're responsible for that, not just here for it. Um, so Lisa, it's, it's wonderful to have you on the show and, uh, very sad that this is, uh, the last time. Well, thanks, Chris. It is kind of sad to be here, but you know, I feel confident that I'm passing the torch on to a really great group of people who are working for you. And I feel really good about everything that we've done and where we are now. And, um, I feel confident that the community broadband initiative is going to be great without me and, Um, I just, you know, I feel really good about the future, Um, even though we are doing this remotely. (laughs) What a time to feel great about the future. (laughs) In the grips of a horrible virus scare. Um, But, you know, that too shall pass because, you know, we have, you know, really strong, capable people who know a lot about science and, um, you know, we've survived this long and, you know, I'm sure we'll survive longer. So I feel good about it. I feel like in anticipation of leaving my team, you're starting to take drugs. (laughs) (laughs) maybe for all you know this is when i've stopped (laughs) well lisa i feel like we should review briefly what you've done um which is effectively everything uh on the team but what has been the majority of your activity on a daily basis while you've been here in recent years and we can go back a little bit more and and talk about the history of what you've seen and and reflect on it but but what do you what do you do around here Well, of course, as you said, that's changed over the years. But recently, I have been managing the unionetworks.org website. um, And that involves uh, learning about different communities and what they've done to improve connectivity and sharing those stories and also researching, you know, uh, what's happening with different laws in different communities and, you know, different methods that people are using to improve internet access. Um, We've been doing a little bit more with 
digital inclusion in the past few years with tribal networks, mostly just getting the word out. Um, And so that's been the bulk of what I've been doing lately, helping a little bit with technical advice for people who contact us, um, you know, doing the podcasts, editing them, um, you know, just, you know, a big variety of different things as needed. About how many Google alerts would you say you average in a day? Well, I don't know, because, you know, lately... (laughs) Lately, I've gotten a little bit behind on the Google Alerts, and that is because things have gotten so busy. And, you know, that's another reason why I feel hopeful about this, because what it means is more people are understanding the value of local networks. And, you know, I I have not too many Google Alerts, you know, only about, I don't know, 50 or 60 or so. Um, But, they have been pretty busy lately. And that's one of the reasons why I've gotten a little bit behind. Um, I would say each day I probably get, I don't know, somewhere between 40 and 50. Um, So I do go through them. I have a different strategy. Some are really broad, some are really narrow. But it's been really challenging the past couple of years because so many more people are realizing that um, if they want to stay competitive, their communities need to invest in this kind of infrastructure and take control of their local connectivity. You joined us about eight years ago, not long after uh, MuniNetworks.org was launched. Um, And certainly, um, you know, MuniNetworks.org was doing uh, much lower traffic at that time in terms of the amount of content we were putting up, maybe maybe three stories a week or so, I think. And at that time, <laughs> like, you know, if anything happened, we were just thrilled because sometimes we were tr- yes. trying to figure out what to do. <laughs> I remember. I remember sitting in my office and every time there'd be a story, you'd come running in and you'd say, <laughs> and you'd say you have to write about this. You have to write about this. Um, I remember that. And I Straight off the teletype. I know, exactly, exactly. And now it's just, you know, difficult to keep up with. There's just so much and it's it's great. And I, I feel like that's partly because of what we've been doing. You know, I feel like we've really expanded the word. That was uh, that was certainly our goal. And it's been it's been really rewarding to see that that's been something that's taken off and, and people have really appreciated that it's made a difference. Um, you know, at this point, I think you have a Google Doc of 100 stories or more that we'd like to do that's uh, we keep putting off because we we had new higher priority stories on a regular basis. Um, whether that's me running in your office still, which happens less frequently, um, or you just seeing things. Yes, that Google Doc is, I believe, something like thirty six pages long. And <laughs> one of the things that I always have a new intern do is go back through the old pages because all of the news stories are at the beginning. Um, I have an intern go through and. Um, try to look at the older stories, potential stories. And oftentimes there are stories that are about a community that has already done something. Sometimes those stories are about communities that have examined the possibility and dismissed it. Sometimes those stories about communities that have examined the possibility and put in conduit or created policies. Or sometimes they're about communities that have actually that's why we started something like that to just kind of watch communities. And um, it's just amazing how um, many places are actually doing things. I feel like there's a major transition four years ago, um, four and a half years ago. Um, I remember it well. It was 2015 because my son was born. <laughs> and that's when I more or less um, realized I could not continue the level of micromanagement that I had been 
doing. And I, I, I basically stopped being so, um, I would say, micromanaging of your work. And, and you took over muninetworks.org. And since then, it's been you who has been um, writing a lot of the stories, editing all of the stories, getting them up, managing the publication schedule and things like that. People still credit me for it, which I appreciate. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you've been the, the heart and the soul of the site for many years now. I remember that time and I remember how things were sort of starting to happen and your wife was expecting and you were like, I am getting kind of nervous. I don't really know what I'm going to do. And I said, let me take care of Muni Networks. And you were like, I don't know. It's my baby. I'm going to have another (laughs) baby, but I want to keep my first baby. Right. And I said, well, you don't have much choice. (laughs) And um, you did. And I appreciate that, Um, you know, because I really enjoy writing the shorter stories. I mean, I had done a few reports and, you know, they were great. I like writing longer stuff, but I prefer writing the up-to-date, shorter things. And um, it was a good way for me to feel productive because I'm the kind of person who likes to make things and produce things and get things out there. Um, I like that quick turnaround. And I really appreciated the fact that you allowed me to do that because I feel like every day I and productive. And it's been a great experience. Well, I think I think readers, listeners to the podcast have all appreciated that you've made it such a priority. I know that that you've gone above and beyond uh, many days to make sure that you were getting it done, um, that you were providing fresh content for people. And, um, and I know in talking to people that they really, they appreciate it. And they don't think they have a sense of what it takes to have manage that level of output to be publishing, um, I believe, in one year, 550 stories, and in two years, 450 stories or so um, in, in two of the years. It's just a remarkable amount of output that um, has been wonderful. It really does sneak up on you. <laughs> um, but, you but, you know, also, I mean, one of the reasons why is because we have contacts and people um, get in touch with us, and they're willing to... Um, let us talk to them, and they are willing to share what's going on in their communities. And that really does make our stories better. Yes. Now let's talk about, I think, what it's like to be here. And and in part, this is an opportunity not to talk about how this is the most amazing place to work, which it is. Um, I I certainly uh, love the people that are here, but more a sense of how we do things, because I think a number of people who don't like our work would would pursue that would think that we are, you know, just looking for ways of promoting municipal networks. And and I have tried to keep my eye on the ball that what we're doing is is trying to help local communities be strong. And sometimes that means building a network, and sometimes it means investigating it but deciding not to. And I'm just curious if you've seen over the eight years, you know, if you've seen that change at all or, or what your thoughts are in terms of, you know, when you ask yourself, what am I actually doing here? What are you doing here? Good question, Chris. <laughs> you don't ask yourself what you're doing here? <laughs> Obviously, I don't, or else I'd be able to whip off an answer. <laughs> Here's the thing. All my life, I have felt like people have tried to tell me what I should be doing. And (laughs) it's true. And people have tried to tell me what they think I should be doing. And people have tried to tell me that they know better 
what's for me, then I know better what's for me. And that's one of the things I appreciate about the Institute is that's not what we're about. You know, as a woman, especially being born when I was born, which was in the 60s, we don't need to get into any more detail. Right, the 1860s, it was a wonderful... <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's been a wonderful 154 years. Um, but, you know, I appreciate the fact that people need to make their own decisions, you know, and that's one of the things about the Institute that I like is people have the capacity to examine their situation and they're the only ones who know what's best for them. And that might be an individual, it might be a municipality or a county or a state, and they should be the ones to decide what to do moving forward. Well, it seems like you've been in the right place for a while. <laughs> yes, I would say so. <laughs> um, so if, if we talk about the podcast now briefly, Lisa, we launched it eight years ago, um, approximately 50 episodes a year, more or less, um, pretty accurately until this year when we did a bunch of bonus episodes and things like that in the past few months. Um, at the time, I'd been listening to podcasts for three or four years, and I felt like <laughs> at that time I felt like everyone had a podcast. <laughs> and um, but no, we were still pretty early, and now everyone has a podcast, and probably next year even more everyone's will have podcasts. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I'm curious. I mean, when I first said, "Hey, let's," I want you to edit this. Um, you know, what were what were your thoughts? I was not a podcast fan. I never have been, which seems strange <laughs> because I have a theater degree. <laughs> I'm kind of like, you cannot see a podcast, you know. Um, but I was also excited about the fact that I could do something that involved a certain amount of artistic uh, content. And so um, I was glad to do it. Um, it felt a little strange to me. Um, I had never worked with Audacity before. Um, now I know a lot about it, although. I think there's probably a lot more that I could learn about it. Mm -hmm. um, and I will say that there are a lot of podcasts out there that I've listened to that I find annoying <laughs> because I don't want to hear what, you're, what you had for lunch before we get into the content of why you're here. Um, and I appreciate that about what we do. Um, I'm glad that we started doing it because there is no... There, well, there may be a few other um, podcasts that cover this kind of material, but I think that we still fill a gap that um, people need to hear. Even if we don't have a gigantic audience, um, there are people who don't have the time to read the reports and don't have the time to, you know, read articles all the time. And um, listening to a podcast um, is what they need. Uh, I feel like before we, we talk about where you're going, uh, there's one other thing I want to mention. That's your, you know, you mentioned you have the, the degree in... Um, um, in theater, you have a, a JD in law, which has been very useful um, in the in the past here, um, and you also have a deep, deep love of Renaissance fair and geek culture type stuff. Huzzah! Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, for people who, who aren't familiar, um, Lisa has not even come close to expressing the, the interesting, <laughs> um, the many eclectic tastes that she has. Um, but, you know, let me ask you, as, a, as someone who's actually put on your own play recently, um, as we go back out in society again, do you want to make a pitch for people to do live theater or to, to do something they wouldn't ordinarily do, like go to the Renaissance Fair? Yes. Actually, I want them to do it now while they're stuck at home. Um, I want them to open up a play by Shakespeare, by Oscar Wilde, by 
someone who they have never read before by um, Eugene O'Neill, and I want them to read it, and I want them to read it out loud, and I want them to film themselves, and then I want them to post it on YouTube, and I want them to share it with all of their friends. I love theater, and there's many reasons for it, partly because um, it's a way for people to understand each other, and also because it's a wonderful teaching tool. And um, those are the reasons why I love to do it. And um, it brings people together. Now that we're all separated, this is a wonderful time to be doing it and to be using the internet to do it. So um, I hope that people take that to heart and actually go online and do that. So let's talk about what you're going to be doing now. You're, you're moving to Broadway and you're putting on plays. <laughs> I am. And they're all going to be exclusively online. Right. Yeah, <laughs> no, you probably, probably do that from your home in Minneapolis that you love. <laughs> Um, what what's next for you, Lisa? What are you doing next week? I starting Monday. As, I'm going. As people are listening to this, what did you start doing yesterday, Lisa? <laughs> I'm going to be working at the Department of Commerce um, for the state of Minnesota. For the state of Minnesota in the telecom division, um, doing some of what I do now at ILSR for constituents in the state of Minnesota. And just I know that we're not going to get we're not going to get too deep into it, um, but. Um, what does the Department of Commerce do when it comes to telecom? Or is that um, well, what you're just finding out now? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of both. Um, I'm told that um, I'm needed there and that um, we're going to be doing what we can to help consumers, um, especially for those that have um, had some issues with um, telecommunications companies um, and um, some other things, developing good policy, good state policy. Good. Well, I, I, I certainly think that you will bring a, a fair eye to it. I don't. I don't want to. I guess I shouldn't make assumptions about others who are working in space similar to us on on on, on issues that they call consumer issues. Um, I certainly don't see it as consumer issues. I see it as subscriber when it comes to the internet because we all produce. Nonetheless, um, the point I wanted to make was that um, is that um, one of the things in our office we've tried to do is not to pretend that if we could just get rid of Comcast, that it would be a good thing and that the world would be easier. Um, but that the the big companies play an important role and we may envision a different role for them in the future with different sets of regulations and a different marketplace structure. But um, but that we don't, we're not angry at Comcast and we don't think that Comcast or, or a single company is the reason that um, there's some problems that we'd like to fix. Certainly, there are guidelines for them to follow, and it's important that they do. And oftentimes, those guidelines need to be adjusted. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I think that you're going to be a, a wonderful employee of the state. Uh, you're someone who can um, put aside um, personal feelings. Um, and you, you've worked with me all these years, despite your inherent contempt for me, which uh, I appreciate. <laughs> That's why it was eight years, Chris. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, Lisa, it's been... It's been a, a wonderful time, and and this is a point at which I want to make sure people you know check out the post. Uh, Lisa wrote a, a post about her time here, but um, I don't know that I've I don't think I've written anything really publicly about it. But but Lisa, I definitely credit you with a lot of the success that we've had. Um, you you you've seen me at the raw times when I was learning how to manage um, by making mistakes. And um, and you, with your maturity, um, your intelligence, your kindness, you've helped guide me through it. Um, 
you know, when I was choosing between two recent graduates, younger people, and you um, as at a position, um, knowing you're a single mom with two children at the time, um, you know, it was it was one of those things in which I was just sort of like, I don't know, you know, I'm a I'm a person who's not managed a lot before. I have a lot to learn. And um, it was a little bit intimidating, and um, and uh, and I think that the single best decision that I made in the early years was hiring you because you brought a stability and um, and just a strength to the office that um, I had no sense of when when David talked me into hiring you. <laughs> well, thank you, David. <laughs> That's right, David. Definitely. I mean, I had no idea how to how to handle and look for talent, um, David. Um, um, David Morris, co-founder of ILSR, um, said that it would be idiotic not to hire you. I had some doubts here or there, um, in part because, honestly, when you did the interview, <laughs> this is the part I'm just remembering now, you seemed partially interested in the job. <laughs> the other people that interviewed were like desperate for the job. And you were kind of like, you just had this look as you're looking around, the, you know, our, our office, which had been 20 years of dust and stuff. It was disgusting. <laughs> You know, and when we moved destroyed, (laughs) and when we moved into the new office, you guys had three vacuums in the closet. (laughs) I think one of them worked partially, (laughs) but but at any rate, I mean, the point I I just wanted to make with that is that you're a a very special person, but also as other people are listening, um, there is a um, I think a stigma against hiring um, a person who's a single mom. And one of the things that I'll say that I, I think I learned is that not not everyone is 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 like you, Lisa. But but you brought a a very no nonsense attitude. You knew how to get your work done. You you focused on it. And you got it done. And I feel like there's a tremendous. Um, a power that comes from being responsible for two children solely that a lot of workplaces would benefit from. I tend to agree with you. Um, and to be frank, I um, had already, and if you go back, um, if you're listening and you read my post, you'll see that um, I had already applied for a lot of jobs at that point. And um, I had heard crickets from everybody. And so when I came in and talked to you, I kind of expected to just hear crickets from you as well. So <laughs> I think I was probably not disinterested as much as not expecting much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I um, have sort of learned that um, when you are looking for a position or looking for anything um, where you're collaborating with someone, it's a two-way street. Um, you know, it's not good to end up with someone who you are – not going to be um, happy with because as, in as much as you were interviewing me, I was interviewing you, um, you know, and who wants a job that they're going to hate, you know, mm-hmm. because both of you will be unhappy and it's not going to remain permanent anyway. So, um, you know, that was sort of the attitude that I had at the time. <laughs> um, and I appreciate the opportunity because, um, you know, I really didn't know anything that I was talking about when, you know, we got started and I really did learn a lot. And I know that the things that I learned from you and David and John were things that allowed me to take this job that I'm going to be having at the state. And um, it's a great opportunity and I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Great. Well, Lisa, it's a great place to to end our last interview, but um, thank you from the bottom of my heart for um, being such a wonderful person in our office for all these years. Thank you, and you're welcome. That was Christopher talking with Lisa Gonzalez, former senior researcher at ILSR.
We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a minute to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arna Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 401 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.